Welcome to Black Armada Tales, an actual play podcast. My name is Nick, uh, and my pronouns are he, him. Hello, I'm Becky Anison. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm James Torrance. My pronouns are he, him. My name is Josh. My pronouns are he, him. Hi, my name's Sue Elliott. My pronouns are she, her. And today we're playing Stealing the Throne. Okay, great, cool. Planning done. We all know what the throne is. We know where it is. We know that we're, we've are we got three very good reasons to steal it. So now we move to the heist phase. And Stealing the Throne is a game with rotating roles, which will be very familiar to at least two of the people on this podcast, because I totally stole it from their game. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have five scenes, one for each of us, during the heist. Each of those scenes will bring us closer and closer to securing the throne. During those scenes, one person will volunteer to play as the throne. Uh, it'll be their job to set the scene. And what they're doing when they set the scene basically is they're, well, they're situating us. They're describing where we physically are. But specifically, they're describing what the obstacle is that the thieves need to overcome to get closer to the throne. And that obstacle can be anything you can think of. It can be as big and as difficult and as complicated as possible. If you're the throne, it's not your job to figure out how the thieves are going to overcome your obstacle. It's just your job to make it incredibly hard so that they look super cool when they do. Then once the throne has set the scene, somebody will step up and volunteer to be the thief. Each of us will get a go at being the throne and each of us will get a go at being the thief. Everybody else is the backup. In the early phase of the scene, the throne can call on the backup to help out, to roleplay NPCs, to provide additional details, all those kinds of things. And you should feel free to jump in if you're the backup and you want to add a bit of color. In the back half of a scene, if the thief is having trouble overcoming the obstacle, then they can call on the backup for help, which represents one of the other thieves stepping in to lend a hand. Now, I know one of us at least has not played this game before, so we're going to use cards to figure out whether or not you've overcome an obstacle. So let me just quickly run through how that works. Uh, Each of us is going to draw three cards into our hands. You can look at your cards, but don't show them to anybody else. You're going to use one card during your scene as the thief to try and overcome the obstacle. Uh, You're going to use one card in the getaway to try and make an escape. And then you've got a third card, which can be used either to help out another thief during the heist, or it can be used to make the getaway a bit easier. Totally your call. High cards are good. Aces are highest. Aces trump everything else. And all we care about is the value of the cards. Uh, We don't care about the suits or anything like that. So an ace is a 14, kings are 13, queens are 12, jacks an 11. So the way the cards are going to work is when you are the throne, you're going to set the scene. You're going to describe what the obstacle is. And when you're done describing the obstacle, you're going to flip over one card from the deck face up and you're going to deal out face down cards equal to the current alert level. And the alert level just gives you a bit of a sense for, for how aware... In this case, House Tetsudo is that we're trying to steal their throne. uh, And it will probably tick up across the course of the heist. So we'll have two cards dealt out here like I've done in this kind of example. When the thief does that, deals out the cards, that's the... Sorry, when the throne deals out the cards, that's the signal that somebody should step up and volunteer to be the thief. So if you have an idea for how to overcome the obstacle that's just been described, you dive on in, introduce yourself, use something like the phrase... I'm so-and-so, and and this is why I'm on the team. I'm an expert in whatever your particular area of expertise is. And then you go about role-playing with the throne, back and forth doing whatever's interesting as you try and overcome the obstacle. 
once the thief has decided that the pivotal moment has come, like they want to know what the outcome is, they play a card out of their hand. And I'm just going to pick a random card there. Once they play a card out of their hand, the throne flips over the remaining cards and we compare. So during the heist, tires go to the throne and what the thief is looking for is to beat all of the throne's cards, like the, the largest, the highest of the throne's cards. If they don't, stuff happens. So in this particular case, the throne's got a jack, which counts as 11. The thief's played a 10, so the thief is currently losing. Other stuff will happen if that comes up in play, but I can explain that when we hit that moment. Does that make sense to people? Enough to get started. Great. Okay, so first things first, please could everybody draw for themselves three cards? All right, everybody's got their hands, um, which means the heist begins. So, who wants to be the first throne? I have an idea, but I'm very happy to not be the first. Well, I'm going to be the first then, because I don't see anybody else leaping in. Yeah, I think you should go for it. Just, just can you just confirm my understanding is that I'm just setting a scene at the moment, and I'm kind yep. of like GMing the scene. Correct. Well, Yeah, you're effectively the GM for the scene. And the, the, the key thing you need to give us is the obstacle that the, the thief needs to overcome. I do also encourage you to put people in your scene. A few times I've, I've played where there have been you know, people have pre- pre- presented security systems that don't have any people involved. Role-playing scenes are always much more interesting when there's people involved, you know. That just ruined my scene where there was just a big sword. Well, that's kind of true. Um, but never mind, I'm going to roll with it. Okay, I've, uh, I've changed the idea. You're going to steal one of the swords. The sword is thrust through a ship in space. A ship which flies around with a basically a sword just kind of spearing all the way through it. And it is it is another symbol of House Tetsudo's privacy, as far as they're concerned, that their throne used its sword to spear a destroyer out of the sky or out of the atmosphere i suppose this is a space battle there's a battle in space it kind of spears a destroyer and the destroyer is now flown around by a skeleton crew of from house tetsudo and it has a gift shop and a museum and people are invited to come on board and to see how the sword very narrowly missed the antimatter drive but you can, and you know, you take a pleasure cruise in it and stay in the quarters where the sword comes through your wall and all of that sort of thing. And it's very much a kind of a, you know, look how amazing and important and impressive we are. But you know, capitalism's going to capitalise, right? You can buy little pieces of the sword in the gift shop where they flaked oh God, off due yeah. to micro meteorite impacts. Yeah, yeah, you totally can. Do you want to name the sword? Becky, there's a list in the playset if that's Ooh, yes. helpful. Yes, no, I think I will go for the ones in the playset. So hold on to your hats, people. This is Asta's Longsword. Um, I think that the, the reason it's uh, Asta's Longsword is because, like, you have to have a pretty long sword that will go, that will spear a destroyer like it's a marshmallow. And that's effective what this does. But this is space, so we don't have to worry about aerodynamics. You can fly around with a just as long as the you know the 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 uh, antimatter drive is still in place and kind of the holes in the hull are patched up and sealed. There's no reason you can't fly around a ship with a longsword all the way through it. 
right? As like, you're an astrophysicist, Nick. Tell me I'm right. Oh yeah, it's totally fine. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So if you're satisfied that you've set the scene, Becky, you want to deal out cards, one face up. Oh yeah, I get to do that, don't I? One face down. Oh, brilliant. Cool. So we, we've got an eight face up. Anyone want to volunteer to be the thief? Anyone know how we're going to steal? Yeah, come on, there's a sword, sword that skewered a destroyer, which is like a mobile museum come gift shop. Which one of you is going to steal it? Josh has got a look in his eye he have a look. that I recognise. I do have a look. Yeah, I, th- I think I'll probably volunteer. So... <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to introduce your thief? Yeah, I have to come up with a name, do I? Is this like... The reason why it's a two-hour game instead of a one-hour game is because we spend like one hour just thinking up the names for our characters. Yeah. Oh, did you say there's a name sheet somewhere? All of the 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 play sets have a bunch of NPCs listed in various places, so you could steal their names alone. You could also steal their areas of expertise if you if you felt like it. Mm. Okay. So this is the reason why I am on the team. I am Monoceros Jones, a an artifact acquisitions expert, and it just so happens that I have been planning to steal not just the the sword itself, but the ship and everything on board it for quite some time, uh, for my own reasons. Hence, I'm the perfect hire to to deal with this particular obstacle, and. I have spent the last few years embedding agents on board this ship and on board the organisation that runs the ship's schedules, the pan-galactic tourism and leisure board. And the pan-galactic tourism and leisure board is is in charge of, of setting all sorts of details about, about the ship including its maintenance schedule, crucially, and and its entire travel schedule for that matter. But what I have done is I have arranged for the maintenance, the, the, the point where it is supposed to be going to maintenance, I have arranged for a different destination to be programmed in, so that instead of it flying through hyperspace to the intended shipyard, it will be flown to a destination of my choosing, uh, whereupon there will be plenty of time, since the ship is not expected to be seen for quite some time, for it to be taken apart, all of the pieces that I want removed, and um, you know, sh- should there be any crew on board who have not already been subverted, uh, it'll be simple enough to just push them out of the airlock. Rude. Hey, I'm a thief, what can I say? So how do we play through whether that happens or how that happens, Nick? How do we seem this? So it's it's kind of up to you two as the throne and the thief. You, mm. Becky, are in charge here as the GM for this scene. So you could zoom in on a particular moment if you wanted. Josh is the one who has the say over when the pivotal moment has been reached. So if, Josh, you're satisfied now and you don't really want to do any of that role-playing malarkey, then you could just flip a card. No, let's build up some, let's build up some role-playing attention. That'd be good. So... Are you saying that you're going to have it diverted? Yeah, so the the yeah. It, 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 the ship jumps to different destinations 
where it will then be in orbit around the planet for a while. Anyone who's there can visit it and, and, and buy lots and lots of things in the gift shop. Oh, so many things and you can buy in the gift shop. You can buy like sword sword scented soap. Yeah, and little little uh, swords with like a removable a ship with a removable sword. You can like swap out different collectible anyway. Tea towels listing all ten of the swords. Oh yeah. Boxes of substandard fudge which are mass produced but with a different picture of each sword on the front. Toothpicks. <laughs> there are a number of rare gifts which Mm. are part of what i intend to steal of course Mm. so uh, just run me through how you are planning on fooling the ship into going to a different location or do you have is the pilot under your control or i've already fooled the ship or at least i hope so at the point where all this happens i have an agent who has taken control of the ship's scheduling so that the jump ah, okay. coordinates that are given to it are simply the wrong coordinates. Well, in that case, I'm the captain of the ship, who I shall now name in a fit of excitement, Captain Toluck. Oh, unbelievable. Captain L. Toluck will suddenly leap up out of their seat on the main bridge and say... Hang on a minute. I don't see any coordinates. I, I don't I don't see the signal I for the shipyard. What's happened? Are we at the wrong coordinates? It's it's arrived the ship, yeah. Yeah yeah, it's arrived. Are we at the wrong coordinates? Hey, Nav, check the coordinates that we've just jumped to. This doesn't look right to me. I think the nav will be someone that I have planted for this for this job and it, indeed to, to save the, the business of an unfriendly nav immediately recognising the coordinates as wrong. And they will say, you're quite right, Captain. Uh, it does seem that the the usual beacons appear to be out of order. I'm just... And he's tapping away at his interface. I'm just communicating with the, the landing tower. And yes, I'm getting a message here that... He puts his finger to his ear in the, the classic I'm talking to somebody that you can't hear gesture. I'm getting a message that there is a problem with the beacons and we're going to have to be guided in manually. Manually? Uh, can't they put a yes. tractor beam on us or something? This is a pleasure cruise. No offence, but our pilots are not... No offence, pilot. Hey! Look, I'm sorry, but can you take this in manually? Of course I can, Captain. I've I've I've, I've been... I've been I've been planning my whole life for this moment. I've been I've been trained for this. I've been this this this, this is this is why I'm here. Well, I suppose we don't have any visitors on board. I think the pilot glances nervously at the nav. The the nav clears his throat and says, um, "I'm sure the the repulsor arrays will ensure that no no accidents are are possible. Not that I don't have full faith in our pilot, of course." And looks expectantly at the captain. Are you sure? This isn't a normal ship to manoeuvre. There's a massive sword all the way through it. Well, if you think you can do it, pilot, any scratches will just come out of your pay packet. The pilot glances again at the nav. Is is the pilot in on this? I don't know. I can't decide what's more fun. (laughs) 
maybe this was at the la- a last minute staff rotor change and the pilot isn't in on it and the nav is just supremely grateful that they seem to be nevertheless playing their part exactly as planned okay i think the pilot will probably say then uh well uh nav if you could if you could uh route directions through to my screen yes i will do that forthwith and i guess the the ship like heaves into motion towards the i mean this will be what looks like it could be a maintenance bay right because it's basically just a fucking gigantic hangar they want to get it into the hangar so that no one can see that it's been stolen into space dry dock the gigantic hangar doors move gradually watch out for our communications array do you think the uh the pivotal moment has arrived josh I think so, yeah. And this is going to be great. Are you ready for it? I'm so ready for it. Here it goes. Oh, should we say the card that is currently face up is an eight? Yep. And I am now flipping. Dun dun dun. A seven. A seven. <laughs> ah. Now. All right. So you're already losing. The throne now flips over the remaining face down card. Let's see done. how bad it's a king. Oof. Oh no. <laughs> How, how how much is a king worth again? A king is worth thirteen. Oh, that's fine. And ties go to the throne. All right. So straight away, the alert level goes up by one. It is now two. <sighs> and throne, the situation gets more complicated. Jolly good. Yes. So the situation gets more complicated in the following way: the pilot, bless their little heart, isn't actually very good. They don't feel confident about doing this manually despite their bravado to the pilot and they get the hilt of the sword <laughs> stuck on the outside of the hangar bay. So like, they, it's like, you know when you have those lorries with the high loads that try to drive under bridges that say, don't drive under this bridge unless you, if you're too tall and they drive under it anyway and then it just smashes into the bridge and everything just goes horribly wrong and they get stuck in the bridge. That's basically what you've done to the hangar bay of this thing. Of my? Of your. Imagine a large, tall lorry stuck in a bridge. And that's effectively what's going on in your maintenance hangar, Josh. Yeah, I think we cut to my character, who is like in the, like the bridge section of this massive space station. And... There's a, a a weird kind of groaning, grinding sound reverberating through the metal of the room he's in. And he says, what's going on? Why isn't it moving? And a, a tech sort of looks nervously at me. <laughs> I think your plucky tech says, I think the ship's got stuck. They haven't made it into the hangar. They're, they're stuck half in and half out. I think the, what? the swords the got stuck. Fuck. Sorry, sir. How many years? Right. It's fine. Scramble the Marines. We're boarding that ship. Aye, aye, Captain. Okay. All right. So mechanically speaking, at this point, Josh, you have three options. You can call for assistance. You would be asking for the backup, which is Sue, James and I, one of us to step forward, volunteer to help out. If, If somebody does, we would describe how we're helping out and we would throw another card in. Sum the cards together and compare them against the king. So if anyone's going to help out, we need at least a seven. That's option number one, is you can call for assistance. Option number two, you can go out in a blaze of glory. 
if you do that, you will throw in your hand, take no part, of, no further mechanical part in the heist. Of course, you, you'll still be the throne. You'll still you'll still be playing along with us, uh, and then describe how you overcome the obstacle but get taken out in in the process. I mean, <laughs> you're in the middle of a boarding action. Anything could happen. Option number three is that you, at this point, betray the crew. You will grab one of the thrones cards, take it into your hand, and then describe to us how this problem just resolves itself. The fact that you've betrayed the crew will come into play during the getaway, if that's the option that you pick. I mean, with that king sitting there, it is jolly tempting. But <laughs> I don't think it makes a lot of dramatic sense for this to be a betrayal, quite frankly. It's too so early. To... We're not emotionally invested. Yeah. And, and just generally, like, why the fuck would you betray the party by getting the door width wrong? That's just... <laughs> just right. not right, is it? Could all be part of your elaborate plan. Oh, yes. <laughs> you never anticipated that I would replace the pilot with an incompetent. <laughs> um, I will call for help. Please help me. Preferably with a card of exactly seven value. Alright, have we got any takers from the backup? Anyone want to step in and help out Monoceros Jones? I don't have a totally optimal card, but I, I have cards that will do. Is yeah, that, is, same. <laughs> is that you volunteering, James? It's sounding like it might be. So Doesn't have to What be. happens if we lose at this point, by the way? Uh, if nobody comes in to help you, then you're going to have to take one of the other two options. Blaze of Glory or, or Betrayal. Oh, cool. Okay. Yep, if no one's willing to step step in. I mean, I can too. Just want to see if James or Sue is keen. Yeah, okay, I can go. I'm gonna to have to hurry you up, guys. Otherwise, I'll be starting a doom clock. Oh no, wrong game. <laughs> okay, oh, so hang on. What, what, what order am I doing things in now? So, what you need to do is tell us how. How are you helping out? Dive okay. on into the scene and and save the day, and then play your card. Okay, so so at this point, Monoceros Jones in a separate ship is about to launch a boarding action to salvage the situation, right? Yep. Okay. Well, the obvious option is that my character is, you know, heading up the um, the Marine Squad, being, you know, uh, so that's he's Dmitri Rostov. He is a cybernetically enhanced veteran Marine. No. No, that's fine. But you're not tied to whatever you say here when it comes turn for you, time for you to play the thief. So your okay. your your area of expertise. I mean, feel free to be a cybernetically enhanced leader of a, a boarding action, but it. When it comes time for you to play the thief, you could also be a safe cracker or whatever. Sweet. So, Monoceros Jones uh, maneuvers close to the. Well, you know, I'm narrating you, but uh, the the ship is maneuvered close to the the incoming sword speared beached ship. The airlock opens, and from ship to ship, a hand-picked squad of a dozen vacuum-sealed power-armor marines um, led by Dimitri shoot across the vacuum and, you know, in, 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 insert a hacking device into the outside of the airlock on the, 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 the opposing ship, force their way in to be confronted by the, you know, minimal security detail on the, the ship and... The Dimitri has his own version, the the like the miniaturized version of what was it called, the Ibbot's Defense. He's 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 got multiple swords that whirl around him in a clawed cloud of autonomous swords because you know this technology has been studied down the centuries and miniaturized. 
and with this uh, whirling cloud of blades, uh, he's able to make short work of the security detail on this uh, tourist craft. It's 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 like sort of overwhelming the guards on the HMS Victory or something. <laughs> nice. And then you can play that card from your hand. Okie dokie. That is a nine. Woohoo! Oh, that's pretty close to optimal. Yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, so the total there is a 16, beats the 13. Josh, you've succeeded with the help of Dimitri. Do you want to do you want to tell us what that looks like to wrap up the scene? I think once the the bridge of what, has this ship got a name? This destroyer is it? Like, I can't remember whether we named it. We, we didn't named the sword. Name it. We named the we sword. I think that the name has been scratched out and expunged from the records, and it is known only by the name of the sword now, in a kind of a final affront to the losers of the war history is written by the winners and also scratching out the kind of the history of the losers cool so it's Aster's longsword yes Monoceros Jones strides out of the the boarding ship once everything is secure and begins giving orders over the over the comm dozens of, of uh, little maintenance ships come flying out of the the hangar to administer the the various cuts and uh, modifications that are required to take this ship apart unfortunately halfway in and halfway out of the hangar but hey you know we're professionals we 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 cope we spot a few lifeboats attempting to escape from the ship and without barely blinking Monoceros Jones gives the order to have them blown out of the sky. The little turrets mounted on the space station swivel and pew pew pew! In space you cannot hear lasers go pew but in science fiction you can and each of them disappears in a puff of plasma. Nice. I mean not nice awful. But... <laughs> okay great that's the first obstacle overcome uh, in the heist um, so we, I'm going to tidy away the cards now. Now, it didn't go perfectly smoothly, so as you can see, the alert level has bumped up to two, which means that we're no longer... Some people have an inkling that something is going on. I can't remember exactly how I described it in the in the book. Give me one second. There are localized alerts out for thieves. And that brings us to the second scene in the heist. So the way this goes is that somebody who was back up, which is to say James, Sue, or me, has to be the next throne. I'll take the next throne, if that's cool. Perfect. Brilliant. Great. So our next target, or the thieves' next target, is another sword. This sword is called the Mother. It was one of the first swords made, and what's special about it is that, aside from the throne, the Mother is the only thing which can track the other swords that there's like a a, there's a way to activate beacons in the other swords from the mother the mother is kept in a place called the nest which is up it overlooks uh, it's on a hill overlooking the city and it looks like a it's a giant structure that looks a bit like a bird cage and it's buried part way into the ground, a bit like the sword in the stone or something like that. Inside 
this structure are hundreds and hundreds of what look like little birds. When you see one up close, you realise that it's like a little droid type thing. It's basically a flying security camera. They're not centrally controlled. They just they act like an actual flock of birds. They can communicate to each other. They can raise the alarm. They look a little bit agitated at the moment. <laughs> there's there's no real security around the building because of how effective these little bird drones are. So you can walk in, walk in and out of it, but you are being watched. That's super cool. <laughs> Would you like to deal us out some cards, Sue? <laughs> sure thing. Two cards, isn't it? Uh, it's one face up and two one face, face down. I see, yeah. So we've got a six of spades face up. All right, now one of us has to volunteer to, to take on this obstacle. I could, but I, wasn't, I have basically I have absolute trash cards and I was, I was the throne in the last round, so if somebody else wants to get some spotlight time, then I'm very happy to step back. Okay, how about I do it? Cool. Okay, so this is why I'm on the crew. My name is Finch, and I'm a master forger. And so, I think when we cut away from the the birdcage, the nest, with all the birds flying around in it and the throne, the camera opens on a workshop. It's in space, so we can there's, there's probably a big window in the workshop that shows the view of the planet on which Tensword stands. I don't know, maybe this thing's close enough even that you can see Tensword sort of climbing out of the the clouds through the cloud cover circling below and this figure small slight figure is hunched over a a table working away with in fact no this is a science fiction game they're doing that the a thing with their their hands and they've got these little kind of glowing rings around their hands that are that are linking to manipulators that are doing some kind of nanoscale assembly work on these the, the the room is just full of birds of all different sizes some of them standing stock still some of them kind of lying on their backs with their 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 legs twitching some of them flying around the place frenetically and i think finch leans back and makes a kind of spinning gesture with his hand and a tiny little bird flies up and starts chirping at him and then we jump cut again down to the surface of the planet approaching the nest what is, does anyone have any idea what, what do people dress like on House Tetsudo's capital planet? What's the, the visual there? So I always think about the idea that the more impractically you can dress, the richer you are because you don't do so many things, you know? So I think that there is levels of impracticality. I suppose I'm thinking of like, I can't even remember when it would would have been, but those ridiculous shoes you see in sort of, is it medieval times? And like shoes which are totally impractical, which you couldn't possibly actually do anything in. You have to walk, walk sideways down the stairs because they're, yes, so, uh... they're so stupidly long and they attach to your knees and things like that. And so I think, again, there's like some sort of fashion amongst the super rich for clothes that you basically can't do anything except sit in. 
because they're so ridiculous. And then kind of elements of that fashion kind of drip down as far as they can, but with people who have to have clothes in which they can actually, you know, work in. In addition, the rich do have one practical element to their clothing, which is because it's quite a hot, sunny planet, they all have these sort of essentially sort of umbrellas on their head. They look like a cross between an umbrella and a lampshade over their head to keep the, the sun off. And like round, if you, depending on how well off you are, you'll decorate the edge of your your kind of head parasol with nice little dangly bits. And it, at very high levels of wealth, then you can make that even that really un- impractical and have it dangle down to a stupidly low level where you're gonna trip up if you walk faster than a, a shuffle. I guess if you're suitably rich, that parasol is probably itself some sort of small drone and hovers above your head. Whereas if you're not, maybe it's just propped up by a, you know, something attached, a collar or something that's trying to trying to trying to hide the fact that your parasol is not floating above your head. Okay, I think Finch is approaching the nest and is wearing something that looks something spectacularly ostentatious, kind of from the waist up. But probably a little bit, a little bit too close to sort of servant's class from the waist down. It's a little bit too practical. So if you just took a glance over and and took in the upper half, then this is clearly a rich person. But if you really looked closely, and it's voluminous, I think it's 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 like a, a jacket, but it's a jacket that's that's got long, you know, trailing arms and hangs very low and loose, and lots of opportunities for concealing things inside of it. And he's approaching the nest. As Finch approaches approaches the nest, the birds actually get quieter. Quite a few of them turn and and face you, and you can just see a tiny little red LED in each of their faces. The slight whirring of 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 lenses, sort of focusing. A couple of them have, instead of a lens, they'll have a little a little speaker. Cool. <laughs> And making little kind of binary noises to each other. Is there anything inside the nest apart from the sword buried in the like? Are they? Is this a park or is this a? Let's say yes. It's kind of got a. It's got a kind of botanical garden feel to it. There are some nice kind of ornamental bushes and trees and yeah, a few you know a bit of ground, a bit of ground cover as well. It's quite pretty, really. Cool. Okay, so I, th- I think Finch strolls through the garden, I guess maybe picking up a, s- a slightly growing flock of these these red-eyed birds following him around the place. And and so he approaches the the base of the sword, the bit where it's it's, it's kind of buried in the dirt. How, how big is this thing compared to a person? It's pretty big. It's like, it's a good sort of, I think the... The bit of it that's above the ground is, it's like two stories high. It's, it's big, it's a long sword. It's quite, yeah, quite large. Cool. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing that it's an open space, you know, a part of the park where people can, it's not obscured by trees or something. And so I think Finch stands in front of the sword, kind of looking up at the sword. And as these, these birds start to swirl around him or something, and he throws open his coat and a flock of his robot birds that we just saw up in space just burst out from under his coat and and fly up into the air swirl up into the air with these other security birds 
And I think this is the point where I want to play a card because I want to know how this is going to go. So from my hand, I'm going to play a jack, jack of hearts. Okay, so it's my turn then. Yeah, now I get to see what's on the other side of those other two cards. <laughs> You've got a nine Oof. and an eight. Hey! Brilliant. Okay, so that, that, that jack is winning, which means Finch's plan works. And so so what happens is these these birds that fly up from his from his coat mingle in with the, with the other security birds and whenever they fly close to each other there's this little short range transmitter transmits a bit of malicious code a bit of a bit of forged code that spreads out through this flock of birds and i don't know maybe maybe their leds change to a sl- subtly different hue or something to indicate this little virus spreading out through the and as the birds kind of convert and start to swirl away we just see this kind of glimpse of of finch running up the flat of the sword and sliding into an access hatch up the, the the second story and activating the beacon perhaps i think that's the scene unless anybody wants to nice i really loved that too that was cool <laughs> flawless execution yeah, yeah just like get in get the sword the, get out a small part of me who 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 would prefer it to go horrendously wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Black Armada Tales. We've been playing Stealing the Throne by Nick Bate. If you'd like to find out more about Stealing the Throne, you can go to ickbat.itch.io. That's I C K B A T dot itch dot io. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast and join us on Twitter, where we are B Armada Tales. If you're struggling to find a pen to write all that down, you can find that information and more in the show notes. See you next time. I bought Raffi Animal Crossing, or we bought Raffi Animal Crossing, but he's not really interested in playing it, so I've been playing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a slippery slope. He set up the island, and I was like, can I just grind some peaches for you then, Raffi? And he's like, yeah, sure, Mum. And then he was like, do you want to pay off my house? Do you want to build, build a museum? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I don't mind. Are you sure you don't want it? And he's like, no, that's cool, Mum. And every so often I'll say, look, I've built you another thing for your island. And he's like, yeah, that's cool, Mum. <laughs> you know, he really likes sitting watching me play Civilization, mm. And he's just like, he doesn't really engage with the gameplay particularly other than, you know, I occasionally say to him, what should we build next? Mm. And he's like, suggests something completely wrong. Um and sometimes I do it and sometimes I'm like, no, nah, I don't think we should do that. I think it's less serious if you build the wrong thing in Animal Crossing. You're just going to have to grind some more peaches for a while or get some more wood or hit some more stones or something. Initially, I thought that maybe you'd tricked him by giving him something you wanted to play. <laughs> but now I'm wondering if maybe he's tricked you by getting you to do all the work while he just enjoys having a lovely island. Yeah, I occasionally like I'll come along and be. Hang on a minute, what happened to all these resources that I've been carefully stashing <laughs> to build a thing? How should Taxes, we get that? Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, in, so he does play it. Not very often. I think he's looked on a couple of times. 
I'm kind of I'm pushing the boundaries really of to see how interested he is because um, I recently upgraded our house and gave it a purple roof because that's my favourite colour. But he's chosen right. a land that's covered in snow, so you can't really even tell that it's purple. Oh. It's just like oh. I wish he hadn't chosen the snowy world because everything's just white. Oh, it's just because it's winter. It'll, oh, it'll, it it goes through the seasons. Yeah. <gasps> Okay, I feel a bit better now because it feels it's very strange to be growing. <laughs> You're looking forward to spring now. It's because I'm growing coconuts on my tropical beaches, and then I step <laughs> into my winter wonderland, snow-covered spruces, and it was a bit like I don't understand. And why are there pansies and cosmos bloom? Cosmos blooming in the snow. <laughs> I think I just have to let go of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's very strange what they've decided to make seasonal and what they haven't. Like, all the bushes are, are seasonal, but then you can just grow peaches all year long. Yep. <laughs> I've lost so much of my life to that game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's very soothing, yeah. though, you know? It is very soothing. Apart from if you accidentally get stung by a wasp, which happens to me all the time. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> Like, like it's weird so... to build a soothing game where you could occasionally randomly get stung <laughs> by a wasp. That's not that's not even the worst thing on that island. Yeah. What? What's worse than getting stung by a wasp? <laughs> um, a tarantula oh. or a scorpion. There's what? <laughs> they only they only come out in the evening, and not every night. But but if they see if you get too close, they will chase you and bite you, and then you faint. <laughs> And wake up in your house. <laughs> what, the fuck? what the fuck is this, this game? Is <laughs> I thought this was just like I build a little garden. I am really disappointed that Becky peaches. wasn't surprised by that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I won't. I won't spoil no, anything else. Fine. I, just, I would have loved to hear this squawk from the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's genuinely frightening when they chase you. Yeah. Can't you just catch them with your net? This is too late if you've you, missed your opportunity. You can you can creep up on them, but if you if you spook them, they will just hunt you down. Can they? Wow. Can can they get across? Can they get up ladders? Oh, I don't know actually. Or pole vault across the river. They're quite fast. You might not have time to get to pole vault. Okay. I'm not sure. Something to try out when it happens. I haven't seen any. Maybe that's because it's winter. Maybe they're seasonal. Yeah. Speaking as an Australian, I'm having very weird mixed feelings about this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of nostalgia. (laughs) Terror. (laughs) Did you ever... When you lived in Australia, did you ever see any scary killer wildlife? Not like in a zoo, like, you know... Oh, sure. Whoa! What do you mean, I'm sure, in that casual tone of voice? I, yeah, I assume that was how Australia worked. You, you like, wake up in the morning, you look in your sink, there's a killer spider, you lift up the toilet, there's a killer snake in there, and that's just, you, you roll with it. I did go on a on a, a cub camp once to a, to a campground, and for a whole day there was, a, there was a, a snake just sunning itself on the path across the entrance to the gents. A poisonous snake, uh, just just lying there, and so the the cub scout leaders just explained to us, poisonous snake, so get a run up before you jump over it, and that's what we did for the day. <laughs> I'm guessing it wasn't the most poisonous snake, but do you like spend your childhood like 
picking your way across a, a funnel web infested lawn and that, well, that's what I imagine you do kind of yeah pretty much oh god <laughs> redbacks where I was are they spiders they're, yes they're poisonous spiders okay. sounds lovely yeah it's fine so I'm very grateful for the fact that Britain is lacking in anything at all dangerous yeah even our poison our one poisonous snake because we do have a poisonous snake in this country, Nick, if you weren't aware of that. Just, I was not aware. It changes just everything. One. It's called Adder. G- it's called Gerald. Yes, the Adder. <laughs> Adder slash Viper. Two names for the same thing. It's basically as bad as a bee sting, I'm told. I've never even seen an Adder, but there is a place that I go wild swimming in the uh, spring and the summer, which apparently has Adders, and I've been really hoping I get to see one, but I haven't, so... I think they're quite shy. I think the vibrations of people's footsteps just make them scuttle away, slither away. I guess that's the one way in which it's not like Animal Crossing. I don't believe anybody has been relentlessly pursued by... (laughs) I hope. By a badger, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, badgers can get a bit saucy, can't they? We had one in our back garden once, and I was, you know, wouldn't have let the... Wouldn't have let the children Wildly chase alarmed. it. Well, they're kind of, they're a bit big and... I mean, I think it ran away again, like... But yeah, there's nothing that dangerous in the UK. Which I like. Not yet, <laughs> not until we reintroduce it all. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. I think cows are probably our most dangerous cows? animal. Yeah, cows are pretty dangerous. Yeah, they can be. Others, horses, like, you can get kicked by a horse and that's not a nice thing. They're not really wild animals, though, are they? I mean, that's kind no, of. No. I find I find them a little bit intimidating. I'm such a city boy. Horses or cows? Cows. Oh, yeah, They're so yeah. big. They are big. They are big. Yeah. Huh. It's actually I think dogs. I go mm. with dogs. I mean, dogs actually do kill people with alarming frequency, don't they? Um, again, not a wild animal, but still. 